the Bible reading, uh, say, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Fantastic to see you. Uh, a very warm welcome. Please let me add that special welcome to anyone joining us via the podcast, zooming in, any visitors. Uh, we have the kids with us today. Pathway loves kids. Kids are great. Uh, kids also wiggle and talk and get distracted. And that's part of the blessing of being a kid is that you get excited. So uh, if your kids are with us, don't be too phased if they do the things that kids just naturally do. I'll pray. Lord, thank you that we can gather and receive your word. Uh, We ask that you would open our hearts and minds to what you desire us to hear and understand today. Challenge us, encourage us, make our hearts align with yours in seeing the needs of the people who need assistance. Inspire us to have the compassion of your son Jesus and the urgency to assist your children. We acknowledge you, our perfect Father, uh, and help me to only speak the words your spirit commands and guide us all in how we can serve others and reach those who do do not yet know or love you. In Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago, a church in the UK received a quest for someone to come out and do a pastoral visit on a non-Christian. And this was a ministry that that they did. They had people who could go out and meet with anyone who wanted someone to come and meet with them. Uh, And so they sent someone over. And they found someone who had some physical disabilities, some long-term mental illness. They were living in supportal accommodation where they had regular carers coming and going uh, to help them with their living needs. And the first meeting, they went in and they said hello, and and it was generally quite uneventful. And as the Christian who was visiting left, they said, hey, would you like me to come back again? Uh, And the person said, yeah, you know, that'd be great. I I really enjoy this. Can you you come back? And it was on the third visit that the person they were visiting said something very insightful, but incredibly sad. You know, you're the first person in years to spend this much time with me who hasn't been paid to be here. You're the first person in years to spend time with me who wasn't paid to do it. That's tremendously sad. But what's worse is that it's actually relatively common for people who live in in these settings and other places in the community. Uh, And I can tell you there are people in the Northwest who this is their situation, that the only people who they see in their home or anywhere else are the people that are paid to come in and see them. Uh, The cost of living is going up. Mental illness and domestic abuse are at all-time highs. People who have never missed a payment or or been stressed about money in their life are now struggling. And this presents a very, very real need. We don't need to go to slums of developing countries. Uh, We don't need to look very far at all to find people who have physical needs or who are suffering. And we see repeatedly in the Gospels that Jesus has compassion on these people. He, He heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. He commands his disciples to do the same thing. For what you did to the least of these, 
you did to me. And this is what Eddie talked about last week, isn't it? Uh, that as God has a heart for the vulnerable, that we as Christians with the Holy Spirit in our hearts would share that passion. And as part of our relationship with Jesus, we'll be driven that we, we need to. We, we just, as our hearts align with Christ, we have to go to help people. Because that's what a mercy ministry is. It's serving Jesus by serving other people. Once my clicker works. And, and this is what the church is known for, isn't it? This, this good stuff. Um, you know, yell out to me. What are, what are things that we, we know the church for? If you're not a Christian, you, you don't come to church. What do you know the church for? Praise? Yep. Yep. Anything else? Yes, charity. Yep. So, so donating things, giving things out. Might be money, might be hampers, might be food. Anything else? Fellowship. Yep, fellowship. Yep, so, so they might go meet people or, or, or it's things Christians kind of huddle together. Anything else? Yeah, yep. So, so traditionally Christianity has been, at least if not starting, very much involved in health, education, advocacy, disability sector. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole bunch. Hmm? Hypocrites. Yeah, yeah, potentially. So, so they say one thing, but they, they do something different. My clicker is not loving me. I'm just wondering if it's... There we go. Um, so we're known for visitation, for counselling, for mentoring, for giving to the poor. And that doesn't just have to be the, the financially poor. It could be the spiritually poor, the emotionally poor, the relationally poor. Uh, it could be training and education. Uh, and so not just in schools, but it could be other settings like teaching financial literacy, teaching health literacy, teaching about nutrition, cooking, how to care for ourselves. They might be giving overseas to, to reach those where our own feet cannot go. Uh, and it's not just programs that the church does, it's the people of the church individually doing the church's work together. So that could just be meeting with someone one-on-one. -on -one. It might be mowing the lawns of somebody who can't do it themselves. Uh, and these are what we call a mercy ministry. And we do a bunch of them here. We've got Pathway Care, Pathway House, Pathway Shed. We're investing in the community. We want to do more. And this is not, as Etienne said, something new. We, we're not sitting here going, well, we see this as a whole that we're not doing. This is something people are already doing, and we want to do more of it. And we want to equip each other and ourselves in how we can do that effectively. And it begs the question, why? I mean, Jesus tells us to do these things. But why does the church spend so much time and money doing something that arguably other people are more equipped and can do better? There's no end to charities. You go and you look for charities. There's no end of people who are willing to go out and do this sort of work. There's no end of government contracts to go out and do this work. So why does the church feel the need to constantly step into it? What makes the church different in the way we're doing it? Now I've clicked too far. Mercy ministries let the church participate in the work of God in bringing the light of his kingdom. Now obviously this does good things for the people we help. They, they get fed, they get to meet someone nice, they might have someone to, to talk to for the first time in a while. But this does a lot of things for us. And this is what we were talking about last week, about being sheep and goats as we sort the way through. Because mercy ministries make us more like Jesus. A mercy ministry, as you act and participate in it, it makes us more like Jesus. Because mercy ministry isn't about what we do for God. It's about what God does in us and through us for his kingdom. And when you really participate in this, 
when you go out and you find the sick and the lonely and the hungry and the poor, it costs us. It costs us in time, it costs us in money, it costs us in exposure to bad smells. Because realistically, that's what we're doing. That's, that's, we'll be meeting some people who maybe don't smell so good or going to places that maybe aren't as nice to spend time in. And as we, we try to make ourselves more like Jesus, when we engage in meaningful and costly service, when we intentionally stop looking to what makes me happy, what have I got to do today, and we open up our heart to see what the Holy Spirit wants to do, then it conforms us to, to Jesus' image. Jesus who left a place of comfort to come down from heaven to serve others for the kingdom of God. And that's what he calls us to do. And as we do it, we can't help, if the Spirit's involved, to become more like him. We become more grateful as we realise what God has done for us. We become more patient as we wait on other people. We become more aware of the needs and the suffering of the people around us. We grow deeper in our dependence on God as we see the world the way he does because we're not sitting in our own home but we're out looking at the whole picture. Our hearts grow little by little because no matter whether you start doing a mercy ministry out of a sense of fear or of guilt or of duty, over time, as we grow in Christ, we become to do it out of love. Even if you didn't start doing it because you had a passion for that person or or this community, as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, it inevitably continues out of love as we come to desire to see these people saved. And this is something that the sheep of God, his people are instantly recognised for, is that unity with the Spirit and the way they are continually being transformed. And this is why mercy ministries are not just a proof of faith, they're a means of growing our faith. There's an even more important reason that the church is in these sectors, and the church has always been doing these mercy ministries. Coming back to our story at the start about the non-believer and the person who was visiting, they were getting visited by, the Christian who visited them, yes, they did a good deed. Uh, they, they got a tremendous opportunity to care for them, to store up some treasures in heaven, to, to tick the service box. But they got something better. They got to have a relationship with someone that they would never otherwise have had access to. They got the chance to introduce someone to Jesus who they would never otherwise have met and who that person would never otherwise have had a chance to meet. And over the coming days and weeks, they would be able to shine Jesus into their light, little, life, little by little. Because all the good works in the world mean nothing if we don't offer Jesus. It doesn't matter how good your charity is, how successful your KPIs are, how low you can keep your overhead costs so that you can give more to the poor. All the good works in the world mean nothing if we haven't offered them Jesus. To do a small exercise, James 2, 16 to 17. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, we've got to be very careful when we, when we play with Scripture. I think this one's okay. If we do an exercise and say, what if we send them away giving them the gospel without food? That's bad. What if we do it the other way around? What if we send them away with food 
but not the gospel? What if we give them money, but not the gospel? What if we uh, go out and meet with this person for weeks in social work, but we never offer them the gospel? How much worse is that? And it's why we need to do both. And it's why the church stands apart. And it's why successful church ministries stand apart as reaching people for Jesus. See, the guy who's hungry, the person who's homeless, they've got huge problems in their head. You, you, you look at the research, you look at any sort of literature, and it says when you've got these big stress hormones going in your life, you cannot think, you cannot process, you cannot love your kids the way you want them want to. You cannot function at work the way you want to. You cannot be the person you want to be because you're so tied up trying to work out where your meals are coming from, how you're going to meet the healthcare needs, how you're going to pay for school fees, how you're going to pay that bill. People crave the bread of life, but they can't even get to the point of thinking about it because they've got so many other stresses. But a good mercy ministry, when we're reaching these people, we're helping to create the space in their brain and heart to contemplate Jesus. We're seeking to alleviate an earthly problem to create spiritual opportunities. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we're seeking to alleviate earthly problems to create spiritual opportunities. And in doing that, we get to forge relationships with people and help them get to know Jesus, which is super exciting. Because that relationship is where the evangelism happens. The relationship with Jesus is where the evangelism happens, as he inspires you and leads you. The relationship with other people is where the evangelism happens. Because most people don't decide to come to church because they scored a fantastic bargain at the op shop. When we, when we look at a lot of the ministries that, that churches have kind of traditionally run, sometimes we can't quite see the connection. I've never heard someone say, this muffin is so good, I need to meet Jesus. I've, I've never heard someone say, wow, I scored such a good bargain on my shoes that I've decided to go back to church after 20 years. What I have heard, what I have seen many times, is that the person who makes the muffins for my kids' breakfast club has invited me to their house to teach me to make them because the kids love them. The lady from church who gave me clothes for my kids is coming over to help me. And I've never been to their church before, but she's offered to come and like, look after them so I can get some uni work done. The guy who mows my dad's lawns is now reading the Bible with him. This, peop- this person took me in. This person looks after me. This person is organising to see me. These people are caring and providing for my family. They're acting differently. There is something about them that is attractive. I want what they have. I want to meet the God that inspires people to act like this. Someone has had an impact on them and they want to meet the God who made it that way. And little by little, with the relationship, not the cheap clothing, not the delicious muffins, we are shining God's light into the world. Because what happens when we don't do mercy ministries? What happens if if it's just the words? We lose our saltiness. We lose our influence. We stop being effective. Our faith, our ability to reflect God's light into the world, gets put under a lamp by ourselves. It's mercy ministry is a symptom and a result of a deepening relationship with Jesus. Because if you're not ministering somewhere, it means one of two things, usually. Usually. One, you're resting. You're Sabbathing. You're healing. And this is good. 
this is 100% okay, it's holy, it is necessary, uh, and there are times where you need to be on the receiving end of the giving. When we had our kids, each time we had one of our kids, we stepped back from all of our ministries to focus on our family, to work out what it looked like to love as a family of three and then four, to disciple our kids, to work out where we were going to be able to minister effectively and how we could keep prioritising God when we had these other things. And then after a a set period of time, we intentionally looked for where we could get back into ministry and back into mercy ministry. Because the second option, the second reason people might not be doing mercy ministry is not so good. And this is not an accusation. I'm not saying that every person in this church isn't doing that. A lot of people are doing fantastic mercy ministries in this church and we praise God for that every day. But if we're not doing a mercy ministry, if we're not doing some sort of service to God, it's usually because our relationship with God isn't a high enough priority. Sometimes it's it's a quick thing, something has turned us off, and maybe we need to step back to heal. But usually we've gotten distracted. Step by step, slowly we stop talking with Jesus. We stop praying. We stop reading scripture as often as we used to. We stop meeting with other Christians. And it's like a snowball that we get more and more comfortable and we we realise it's been longer and longer since we actually did anything intentionally. And the light escaping from us is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. But we're doing it to ourselves. And then what happens? The church stops evangelising. Now to be clear, we do not save people. There, there, is, there is no thing that if we suddenly stop working, Jesus stops saving people. That's not how this works. Jesus saves people. The Holy Spirit transforms people. This is, not, this is not an us thing. But when the bucket we need of ourselves to draw the spiritual water of life for others is so full of holes and rusty and bent, it's incredibly hard to pull up enough spiritual water to sustain ourselves. And then to tip that bucket and share it for others is even harder. If our sails in our ship are filled with holes and our rudder is in bad condition, when the winds of the Holy Spirit blows and we can feel them, we can see them, when we think, wow, maybe there's, maybe there's something I should be doing, maybe there's a great purpose, we can't capture it. We can't move in the way God wants us to if our own spiritual journey is not in good condition. And we see this. There are things that you start to notice We subcontract out our ministry. We might still be coming to church. We might still be giving regularly or doing something. But can you imagine on the last day, standing before the throne of God, there's, there's the angels around us and Jesus, the letters are being read and Jesus is there and he's got the book of life open and he looks at you and he says, Andy, tell me about your time on earth. Tell me about your effective ministry. Tell me about how you reach the people around you kind of just paid Etienne to do it. (laughs) And God looks at you, and he he knows. He knows. He goes, you just just paid Ryan and Etienne and and other people to do it for you? I gave some money to some missionaries. And Jesus looks at you again and says, well, what about good works? How How did you reach people? Surely, surely there were people around. I had a sponsor child. I had a few of them. Every time they grew up, I got a new one. 
you reach the people of Devonport with a sponsor child. I meant to talk to John and Diane, I never got around to it. It's not, it's not big acts of evil. It's Satan's distractions, little by little. And then as we realise we're failing to grow, we realise the church is failing to grow. That the young Christians, be it in, in age or in maturity as they've come to faith later, they're missing chances to be discipled in these ministries. They're missing chances to see new problems, to, to reach people themselves, to be taught this is how you love and care and reach. And these are the Bible verses that God teaches us about why we should be doing this. And this is how you interpret them. And this is how you read. And this is how you mourn when someone is sad and broken. And this is how you rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And we start to hoard. We start to take the things that God has intended for us to use out in the world for his people and we hang on to them. To, to use the obvious one of money, money is a good thing. God asks us to use money for people. But if you want to check your heart, check your bank statement. If, if you look at the list that comes out, is, is there the cost of petrol for giving someone a list? Because that's a donation now. That's, petrol's expensive. Is it the cost, you know, donations of goods to a program? Is it a cup of coffee from where you met with someone after you heard they had a terrible week? Is it a present and a card for someone who's doing it tough or that you know a time of year is hard for them? Is it some tools or a trip to Bunnings when you were helping someone fix something or, or buying them something that you know they didn't have? We're, we're called to, to give money. We're called to support people in ministry so that they can do the work of the church. We're called to send money overseas to grow people where our own feet can't go. But the transformation and ministry of God in our own lives will only happen if we're personally working in it ourselves. You can't, you can't outsource this. You can't subcontract your ministry to someone else. Because the biggest threat is that we as a church become irrelevant to the community around us. Now, that, that's a very big comment. I don't say that lightly. But when we think about it, we said at the church, the start, what is the church known for? Hypocrisy. Not doing the things that we're meant to do. Because if we take away our position in healthcare, we take away where we're volunteering and doing all those good works we mentioned, take away our positions in education, we're taking away our spot where we're frontline in the community, embedded where people are, meeting their needs in their homes, in their streets. A few years later, what happens? How accessible is the church? How approachable are the people of Jesus? How known are his people for good works? We're not at all. The world may know the name of Jesus, but they won't know his beauty or his people or his hope unless the church is reflecting that beauty. If we're not doing word and deed, then we take the cover of the lamp and we're putting it on ourselves. The light is still there. We're just not letting anyone else see it. So how do, we, how do we fit this in? How do we, how do, we do this well? Uh, as, as Etienne has said, this is not a pitch to get names on lists. This is not uh, a call to force more in, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's a call to see where we should have Christ in our lives already and how we should put him there. And if Christ is already at the centre of your life and you're already doing a huge amount of ministry, 
then that is a great blessing and thank you for that. And if you're transitioning, if, if you're in a spot where you're going, I'm feeling Jesus and I'm starting to do more, but I'm not sure what else, then that is a fantastic position to be in because you're growing and you're seeking the King. But if you're not sure where to start, then it's about knowing that ministry, mercy ministry isn't about what we do. It's about what God does in us and through us for his kingdom. It's about seeking Jesus first and letting his Holy Spirit guide us to do what he wants. And as we do that, we're blessed to remember a few things. Firstly, God will remember everyone for, the, for their labor. One will plant, another will water, another will reap. Our fruits and our labors are not always the same thing. We should see good fruit. Absolutely, we will see good fruit. But it's not always straight away. It's not always numbers of saved people. Some people will reap 100-fold. And that's awesome when it happens. And it's exciting when you, you do something and you see people coming to faith straight away. But other people will set out and they will dig into rock-hard ground for years. And they will be putting in nutrients and they will barely even get the chance to sow seed. But God still sees that labour and he still loves that person. And the next person who comes has now got a footing to reap a hundredfold. And another can reap a harvest, and another. So we need to get prepared as we start. When ministries are in their infancy, as we're, we're working on a new friend, it can take time. It can take months, days, weeks, years before we even get to talk about the gospel because of what may not be appropriate for where we are. But we will see fruit. You will see the impact on people's lives as their Holy Spirit's turning mourning into joy. You'll see people who once cursed the name of Jesus now be thankful for his people, even if they're not ready to become a Christian. You'll find yourself becoming more like Jesus and knowing God better and discipling others and getting excited. So we might not see the fruit of conversion, but we will see fruit if we set our eyes on the King and let God work in us, intentionally seek to let God work in us the way he wants to. Because the thing is, I think every person in this room already knows someone that they want to talk to Jesus about. They might know multiple people. It might be school, co-workers, friends, family members. They know people who would need help, who are doing it tough, who are stressed. And odds are you already know what their needs are for how you can help do those things to preach the gospel, to alleviate that earthly problem, to create spiritual opportunities. Because that's the second thing. A mercy ministry is most effective when it's relevant. Jesus didn't see 5,000 hungry people on top of a mountain and say, wow, thanks for coming. Definitely one of my top 10 sermons. I will see you guys next week. Um, haven't got any food. Sorry, you can just sort that out. We'll do food carts next time. It, it didn't really... He didn't do that. And as we said, if someone's hungry, they can't afford to feed their kids, their partner's an addict, they're struggling with an abusive situation... And the only thing they know about a church is that occasionally they get a pamphlet dropped in their mailbox that says they're going to hell. Is that an appealing thing that makes them want to know these people? But if that church rocks up with a food hamper, someone who they know goes to church starts helping them out. They start cutting their wood for them or they're mentoring their kids or they're fixing their stuff that person's probably a little bit more interested in what church is. 
they've probably got a little bit more respect, a bit more time for the person who's trying to reach out to them. We need both. If we offer the gospel without love, a heart corrupted by sin will struggle to see its beauty. If we offer love without the gospel, then we haven't offered true love at all. We need both. As we close and we think about that natural process that as Jesus is working in our heart, that we'll be reaching, that we'll be growing, that we'll be seeing that in others, we've got a one-question survey because I want you to think about something. So you might remember the QR code. So if you pull out your phone, like the old COVID check-in apps, uh, and you look at the QR code, you will get pumped across to a little survey monkey. And the question is, the thing that stops me sharing the gospel or inviting to someone to come to my home or church to be ministered with on any given week is, and then there's a blank. And I want you to fill that out for me right now. We don't know what we're going to do with this yet. We've got no idea what the responses will be. We've got no idea what we're going to get. But we're excited because it means, with this information, we can help equip each other. We can help see how people are already working together. If you are inviting people into your home, we can see how people are already excelling. You can just pop that in the comment box, and we can help you do that more. But if you're not doing it, then we want to help equip you. The ulterior motive for making you get your phone out is I bet your phone has a calendar or a reminder system. And if you have got someone that your heart has been tugging you towards, if you've got a ministry you're thinking you should be called to, or if you've been meaning to get on to one of our elders or John and Diane about where you can serve but you just haven't quite got round to it, I want you to put a reminder in your calendar to meet with that person or talk to that elder or see John and Diane, so that we can keep reaching people for Jesus and transforming ourselves the way Jesus wants us to. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you enable us to participate in your ministry. Thank you that you equip your church and have given us good deeds to do. Give us courage, give us compassion, and bless us as we sit out this week with our eyes and hearts on you, that you may work through us. In Jesus' name. Amen.